And he couldn't seem to understand that that in itself was offensive, even if Trump had not assaulted these women. The language itself was a form of assault. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Well, hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Well, last time we talked, it was still 2016, but uh, we're turning the corner on a new year, a new beginning, isn't it? I mean, we talked about this last year. You always have a long list of New Year's resolutions, don't you? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Trying to resist the plummet down into 2017. <laughs> All right. Put on the brakes wherever possible. Yeah, that's a good point. But uh, the new year we regard as a, uh, whereas the media likes to pay a lot of attention to it, most of us, I think, regard it as kind of just another day in the continuum. You can't just turn the page entirely. There's a lot that's left over from 2016 that you have to mop up, and 2017 is here. Uh, it shouldn't really drastically alter your day-to-day existence, but we always have the media coming at us with things like the Plain English Foundation's worst English usage of the year, which we talked about quite a bit last time, but there's still more to explore about what they have to say about the state of English usage and what they consider violations of plain English. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's plow ahead. They have other categories that we did not talk about last time. They have euphemisms. Right. Uh, Some of their euphemisms that they called out was the word wastage. Is this familiar to you? Well, I certainly heard it. In what context were they objecting to it? Well, they were talking about a New South Wales government um, wanted to ban the sport of greyhound racing. Um, the sport itself calls the elimination of greyhounds, killing greyhounds that were not able to race anymore. They call it wastage. Oh, geez. That's not unrelated to the old usage. You know, you got to waste that guy by killing him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Gangster talk. Yeah, so they don't really want to talk about their um, killing off greyhounds that can't race. Here, uh, there's a big push to have those dogs adopted into homes. Right, right. That's sort of like the business term shrinkage, which refers to what happens when your inventory partly gets stolen by your employees and by thieves generally and um, damage and that kind of thing. And you use the euphemism shrinkage as if everything were just slightly contracting on its own. Yeah, when you see people using the A-G-E suffix onto something, uh, prick up your ears and think a little bit. It might be a euphemism for something a little more ghastly. Uh, one summer, I worked for a dime store in the uh, stock room, and there was a policy in place that if goods came in and got damaged at any point, like in unpacking them or preparing them, uh, they would try to make it seem as they had got damaged in transit and recover the amount from the trucking company. But they couldn't make a claim unless the damage is sufficiently severe. So I had the bizarre experience of witnessing my boss smashing 
some, I think, uh, some kind of bread boxes or something to make enough damage so that he could claim that the whole thing had been trashed when it arrived at the store. <laughs> I guess that would be smashage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Another euphemism they call out is uh, one that I find pretty frightful is this term alt-right. Right. There's been a lot of discussion of that and and actually made famous really by Hillary Clinton uh, when she explained to the rest of the world what it was. And, and I'm sure she was putting quotation marks around it and deploring the term as something that didn't really reflect how bad it was, but it boomeranged on her. Um and that became a handy tag when you want to talk about uh, neo-fascists, white racists, uh, revolutionaries of on the right generally, and a whole bunch of people grouped together. It's handy and it's sort of neutral. And, uh, you know, people like alt-rock, why not alt-right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty deplorable, but hard to get away from. What the New York Times decided to do is not to use the term alt-right, except in a context in which they explain what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it needs to be called out. When I see the term, I automatically run to yeah, white nationalism. Um, we talked about xenophobia, uh, racist thought. This is all part of the whole package of alt-right. Um Whereas tying it to simply the right wing or conservatism is just really not uh, not entirely appropriate. I have a kind of nostalgia for the old extreme right who used to think the Russians were the villains in the world and that they were going to take over everything. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of ideas that have been considered far right uh, in the past, Um you know, some of the anti-tax measures that people call far right or whatever. Well, you know, we don't love every tax that's levied on us. So uh, some of those ideas have, you know, some appeal in certain contexts. Uh, I can be anti-tax on certain issues. The one that annoys me the most is reform. And when you want to cut taxes for rich people, you call it tax reform. Yes. And, um, Reform is used by politicians all the time. Of course, there's usually two sides to the issues they're debating, and the two parties often want to go in opposite directions, and both of them are calling their particular plan reform. And it's just so cheap. It assumes that the public is stupid and that they don't understand the issues. So, of course, reform is better than non-reform. So what actually turns out to be regression or savage lack of compassion is uh, called reform, which is terrible. Yes, of course. Uh, and naturally, we should not really be using the word tax at all. We should probably be talking about revenue measures, shouldn't we? Or revenue enhancements. That's another one. <laughs> revenue enhancements. This was the next item on the uh, Plain English uh, Foundation's list was revenue measures. Uh, a treasurer, Scott Morrison, now this is Australia we're talking about, so this is the Australian treasurer, used the phrase revenue measures as a substitute for the word tax. <laughs> so they had a quote from him. It is not to say there won't be revenue measures in the budget, of course. There will be revenue measures in the budget. 
But what we're saying is where we'll apply revenue measures is to reducing the tax burden and other parts of the economy wherever possible to drive down the deficit. Yeah, of course, this double talk where people are saying, oh, we've got this terrible problem with the deficit and we've got to stimulate the economy by cutting taxes. And two things come from two opposite points of view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and everybody, uh, politicians like to straddle that line and say that both of them are necessary. <laughs> we need to raise taxes and we need to lower them at the same time to stimulate the economy. And uh, you're right, that's just two different schools of thought about what actually works to make the economy work. This uh, whole business of uh, the right wing scrambling, it's the meanings of things, uh, to me was epitomized by a post I saw on Facebook, a bunch of people standing on a stage with a big uh, array of Confederate flags in back of them. And the slogan that was put on top of it was, um, get over it, you lost. Mm which was addressed, of course, to the Clinton followers, but didn't make a lot of sense in terms of the civil war that they're clinging to so desperately. Yeah, you see a Confederate flag associated with get over it, you lost. Uh, you go back 150 years for the meaning of that. At least I do. But uh, yeah, obviously they were trying to indicate something else. Uh, another uh, euphemism they called out was integrated resorts. Now, I haven't seen this one here uh, in the U.S., but this was something going on in Australia, I guess. And maybe you've seen it. I don't know. But uh, when the gambling industry uh, wants to build a casino, uh, they don't build a casino anymore. They, they call it an integrated resort. Aha. <laughs> well, this sounds so much like all-inclusive resort where you pay one fee and all your meals and housing and recreational opportunities and stuff are all included. Yeah. Um, so that, I find that kind of confusing. Well, yeah, I guess if you were in the industry or something like that and you were clued into the idea that casino was a, a bad word, you didn't want to use that one anymore, right. uh, you might understand instantly what's being discussed when you talk about an integrated resort. But uh, yeah, you're right. It doesn't naturally spring to my mind that that's a casino. And people in the casino industry don't refer to gambling either. It's gaming. Correct. Yes. Gaming. Well, that's another one. This is another euphemism that to hide the less desirable word. You know, they're gaming the system. They are gaming it, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, we have to talk about buzzwords and business jargon. Corporate speak and business jargon and all of that, they really get slandered a lot, but probably in many cases for good reason, I guess. Uh, certainly a lot of what's used in corporate speak is not plain English, decidedly. They have the phrase cultural externalities. <sighs> <laughs> so so uh, what they say about that is the Productivity Commission report on the publishing industry talked a lot about cultural externalities. Do you know what cultural externalities is? Well, I read this piece. It says they're books. <laughs> yes. How can that be a cultural externality? Books are right at the center of culture. Well, there are all kinds of problems with this. Um, books in print are not going away. They continue to be published and printed. Well, I heard sales even of hard copy books actually went up last year. 
Yes, I believe that's correct. I saw that was the trend. Um, now, I'm in the publishing industry, and I unfortunately cannot say that's true for us, but uh, I remain skeptical of the idea that uh, printed material, printed books are going by the wayside. Books are, are very popular, and uh, printed books remain very popular, and there's a lot of rejection of electronic delivery of books also. So uh, a lot of people have tried it by now and decided, meh, not for me. There's just something about the way that a book works just seems to be better. Well, and I like handing my books that I've read on to somebody else who might try reading them or donating them to the library. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's something you just can't do when you've bought a book electronically and sitting on your iPad once you've read it, unless you want to surrender your iPad. Yeah. Well, it's very useful to have an electronic version if you're doing a, a word search. Right. Um, indexes don't always appear in books, for one. And when they are there, they are not always the best place to go to find what you're looking for. Although Google Books is always worth a try. Yeah, Google Books is always worth a try. That's right. You can use Google Books, book search to look up words that are in books because Google has a huge library of books that they have scanned and uh, can show you what page that appears on and so on. Um, even Amazon on their book page, uh, if there's a look inside feature on the book you're looking at on Amazon, you can exploit that. If you have the paper copy of the book, you can search on a word there and it will find it for you. Uh -huh. So you can get around that little obstacle even with a printed book. Um, but printed books have the advantage of you can really skip around in those much more easily than you can an electronic book. And uh, people like to brag, well, I've got, you know, 400 books on my iPad and uh, uh, where else can I access 400 books at one time? And, well, first of all, how often are you going to access so many books? And never. <laughs> and if you've got a subject that you're working on, you might like have two or three books sitting in front of you. Um, but I would argue it's probably just as easy to look those up in paper copies, too. So, uh Obviously, I'm a publisher and I'm speaking from a certain angle on this, but uh, I'm also just a person who reads books. <laughs> I've discovered that I'm much more likely to get through a printed book than I am an electronic book. Which isn't to say that we are against people buying the electronic versions of Common Errors in English Usage. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and there is the Kindle edition. It's fully searchable and it is linked. When you're looking something up and it refers to another entry that's related, you can just tap that and it'll link straight to it. It is a very functional little item. <laughs> uh, I'm not against that at all. Or not against electronic books per se, but I do see their limitations. Well, reference works, I think, especially work well. Couldn't searching is a, a major part of what you're going to be doing. That's right. And we have seen printing of reference manuals and reference works, we've seen uh, definitely decline in those to the point where certain dictionaries and encyclopedias, of course, are not being printed anymore. Well, also, manufacturers' devices like cameras that need a lot of help have often uh, give you only a really comprehensive manual online. You have to download it as a PDF and print it. My camera... They used huge type for some reason on it, and with the pictures and everything, I had to, I have this great big about three inch thick 
printout uh, of the manual for my camera. Yes. It's very cumbersome, but I wanted to have it as well as the online one. Yes. Uh, I might call that cost transference. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if we're avoiding plain English. <laughs> Essentially, the consumer now is paying for the printing of these manuals. Yeah. Rather than the manufacturer. Uh, how about risk of tree failure? Evidently, that was an Australian euphemism, I gather. We get a lot of that here on Bainbridge Island. Yeah, right. Yeah. We live in the middle of a forest, and risk of tree failure is a common event. These are coming from Australian news sources, but we see this kind of thing, of course, in uh, news media all over. But this particular one was a big storm in Sydney which prompted a local council to post signs saying, for your safety, we advise you not visit the park during or just after heavy rain and strong winds because of the risk of tree failure. Right. <laughs> this is trees getting uprooted by storms and falling over. That actually happened in Seattle a year ago. A uh, tree fell on a runner in the park. Uh, during a storm and, or after a storm, I can't remember which, um, and killed him. And the family sued the city for not properly warning people and so on. They lost the suit. Yeah. It was dismissed. But that's one of the things, by the way, when you read in the news about outrageous lawsuits, those are almost always lawsuits being brought. Anybody can bring a crazy lawsuit, but they mostly don't even make it into the courts. And if they do, they're frequently dismissed. And even if the jury awards a fantastic amount, that's often changed in the long run. So the world is not as badly off as you'd think by reading about all these crazy lawsuits. Yeah. Well, uh, way back in 2016, three weeks ago, we had a big snow and ice storm in Portland, which led to a lot of tree failure around my neighborhood. There were trees falling on cars uh Seeming to left and right. And on power lines, right? Yes. Well, that's another big danger is the power lines. You can uh, cut out your power and cause other problems. Yeah. Power failure. Yeah. Well, the Plain English Foundation does not like what it calls Franken-words, portmanteaus. Don't seem to mind them too much myself. But they called out the word bigly also. Now, we talked about that in the last podcast. People uh, were hearing Trump use the word bigly when in fact it was a sloppy pronunciation of what he said was big league right i kind of went over that one but they called out another word a strange usage of the word woke ah uh, yes that's a left-wing usage i have not seen this it had to do with um race and when um White people in particular become aware of their privileged position and the advantages they get unfairly by being white and become sensitive to how it feels to be of an oppressed race, uh, then they're said to have become woke. Uh -huh. Not awoken, but woke. Not awakened or anything. And I've seen it used more sarcastically than literally. It's one of those oh-so-correct terms that mostly is in very tight political circles, uh, but when it's escaped into the wild, it's usually people making fun of it. I see. Yeah. I hadn't come across that 
usage till I saw this article. Well, some of these things either don't hear them here in the U.S. or I just somehow missed them because I don't spend a lot of time on social media. Uh, they had a couple of mixed metaphors of the year. Once again, these are from Australian news sources, so we didn't necessarily see them here. Uh, but certainly we see mixed metaphors quite a bit. It's something to be aware of. Uh, they said that healthcare law expert in Australia warned that repealing the Affordable Care Act would mean that um, as the car is hurtling towards the cliff, it is driving on quicksand. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, quicksand would slow you down and make the cliff less dangerous, right? Unless he was saying that it's destroying itself before they can get a chance to dismantle it. But that's a classic mixed metaphor in the negative sense. Yeah, it doesn't really offer any explanation for what he is talking about. This was Larry Levitt who said this. As the car is hurtling towards the cliff, it's driving on quicksand. I don't have any clue what the meaning of that is. Uh, he seems to be warning against repealing the Affordable Care Act, but how he's viewing the situation is really unclear from that expression. You know, the New Yorker has a long time feature called Block That Metaphor, in which they take headlines and, and quotations like that of mixed metaphors that are particularly absurd. And I hadn't seen one for many years in a recent issue. Uh, recent issues, I've seen a couple. So evidently, somebody at the staff there remembered the fun they used to have of mixed metaphors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they say a close runner-up was uh, in one of the Australian newspapers. Uh, now, this one almost looks like it was intentionally <laughs> written this way. Uh, the writing was on the wall that a changing of the guards was in the cards after Thompson won last month. Yeah. <laughs> Three-part mixed metaphor. That's really impressive. Yes. They're riding on the wall, changing of the guards, and in the cards. I just can't imagine that anybody writing that sentence was not fully aware of what they were doing. But uh, to bad effect, don't you think? I don't regard that as terribly clever or interesting. I just find it as gobbledygook. Uh, silly at best. Silly at best, yeah. Now, um, they wrap up their discussion of the Plain English Foundation discussion of the worst English usage of the year with their non-apology of the year. Now, not apologizing takes a lot of different forms. Yes. We've talked about it before, haven't we? About, um, I'm sorry that, uh, you know, when I ran over your cat, it made you cry. I'm sorry you took what I had to say the wrong way. Well, that's a classic one. Yeah, yeah. It winds up blaming you. Yes, right, yeah. So uh, an apology needs to be an apology. It needs to be directed to the person, and you need to declare culpability for your participation in this. Whatever happened to that old slang expression, my bad. Yeah, right. And I think we all need to be on the lookout for uh, Donald Trump, who seems to non-apologize quite a bit. Um, they called out this one, his use of the phrase locker room talk. Uh, yes. Uh, now, this was really grating to hear this for all kinds of reasons. And um, 
my direct experience with it was going to the gym where I exercise uh, just a few days later and um, overhearing discussions uh, among the other men in the locker room. I heard this conversation in two or three separate instances of two men discussing what they talk about in the locker room and everybody agreeing that nobody has ever been so vulgar in in the locker room. So uh, what do you have to say about this? Well, I associate the older meaning of locker room talk with not so much graphic descriptions of sexual activity as just uh, obscene language and, you know, the thing was that Trump got very graphic in that discussion on the bus that he got recorded on. And um, the odd thing was that it took forever to get him to get around to saying, I actually never did any of those things, which I don't know whether I believe him or not. But he kept using locker room talk as a way of saying uh this is just the way men talk and it's something you should be used to and not alarmed by. And by the way, buried somewhere deep down in there, uh, it's just a false brag that uh, doesn't have any reality to it. Well, what people were offended by was not only that he might've grabbed and fondled women, which it turned out there were lots of women ready to say that he had, but that he was saying it's all right to talk about it. It's fun to talk about it. It's uh, it's something that guys do all the time. And, and they enjoy it. Yeah. They really love this kind of uh, banter about this. And he couldn't seem to understand that that in itself was offensive, even if Trump had not assaulted these women. The language itself was a form of assault that uh, made him an unfit person for public life and for public office. Unfortunately, he turned out to be right for some people. There were numerous interviews with women who voted for Trump who said, yeah, it's just like my husband or my brother or, you know, the guys at work. That's the way they talk. You know, you just uh, have to put up with some of this stuff from guys you know that's not the essence of who he is it's just another proof that he speaks his mind and therefore is honest and trustworthy unlike those damn politicians that are always talking about reform yeah he's just one of us he's just one of the common people yeah um but yes i'm with you i i object to and reject the idea that that is uh common that is a caricature of the way men talk and in my experience it's not true at all it doesn't need to be true and it shouldn't be true well another thing that the national public radio and other news outlets did was to quickly interview famous athletes and just ask them what do you think of this and uniformly they would say that's not the way we talk in our locker room yeah so it's not literally true that it's locker room talk it's really locker room talk is just a that's a deflect that's not addressing the issue at all besides when does uh, professional sports have private locker rooms any more likely to have a reporter standing by to take down any nasty language you cut loose with mm-hmm. yeah well on that nasty note um <laughs> <laughs> sorry to end on such a downer but uh let's be a little uh optimistic here maybe in 2017 everybody will start using plain direct english non-apologies will go away 
people will take all of this uh, to heart. Uh, we won't see mixed metaphors and we won't see uh, corporate spin on issues that are too sensitive. Uh, right? That's what 2017 is going to be like? Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think that Trump could be made redundant, but then I think about Pence and... <laughs> Okay. Well, we can just try to notice these things as it happens and keep talking about them. All right. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. We've turned the calendar over to a new year, but uh, I'm sure at the end of 2017, we're going to have another list to, to work through. But uh, it's always interesting to see what they're up to over at the Plain English Foundation. Yeah, check in with them at least once a year here. All right. Thank you, Paul. Okay. You're welcome, Tom. So long. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.